Hi, folks. It is January 25th, one uh, eleven, and wet salmon, Washington, sunny day. Um, my kid's not around, so hopefully my dog doesn't bark and interrupt me. So <laughs> uh, I have some freedom to do this, and I'm hoping that I do it okay. So here we go. Um, so I'm just going to do all this off the cuff. So I know I was talking about my first podcast, which is exactly a year ago. Talking about different parts of the human nervous system and um, what my perspective was in the human nervous system. And since then, I have, wow, had put a lot of energy into listening to lots of podcasts about um, the human nervous system, especially related to my job, more in a practical sense. There's one podcast called the Polyvagal Podcast, and it talks about the polyvagal system in the body and how our body responds to stress and trauma. And it's specifically for account like therapist type you know, practitioners, um, so that's what it's geared towards. And a lot of really interesting information on that podcast. And um, so that was been interesting. So to, I just mentioned that as a side note. And then um, today I want to talk about the heart. Um, I was going to continue on. That was the next one after. The general nervous system discussion I had the first time. So the heart in particular. Um, yes, I'm doing some promotion. <laughs> Not really on purpose, but just because other people have so much knowledge and information. So fascinating. Dr. Joe Dispenza wrote a book called Becoming Supernatural. And um, it's full of all sorts of information about health, placebo effect, um, chakras and energy work and things like that. In particular, one chapter that stood out was called Heart Intelligence. And um, so, and he goes into some scientific um, research about the heart and the brain, heart and brain connection, and how the heart regulates the body. And there's a certain type of data collecting called heart rate variability um, that is really pretty profound and interesting and helpful in helping us to be able to, as humans, regulate our own system, stress system. So it's called heart rate variability is the data he collects. It's um, HRV. And, I mean, before I get into the details of that, um, some of us may have already heard of that. The HeartMath Institute, which I think he's a part of that. I don't know if he started it or definitely connected to it. The HeartMath Institute is um, pretty awesome. Um uh, organization that helps with, um, they use biofeedback and they do a lot of studies around and promotion of heart, heart health, but through the purpose of, um, with this new tech, new, um, data collect, let's see if I can get them, describe them a little better. Anyway, Heart Math Institute, super interesting. I'll be mentioning them as I go through this book. So basically I'm just going to go through the entire chapter. <laughs> it might take two podcasts. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so before I go into talking about heart intelligence, uh, I'm going to talk about some more recent things that I became super interested in, uh, especially, specifically to technology and nature and the relationship between those two very different things many people think are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Now that I've, the first podcast I did, um, was in January and now we've come back to another cycle of January and gone through another cycle of crazy madness political drama another year of that um <laughs> and that includes you know um 
so much social change going on at this time with our technology, with climate change, with people's opinions about all of those things. And, and also, you know, identity politics too are super strong in that. Um, but just there's so much social upheaval uh, that it just keeps to continue. <laughs> um, maybe we're just getting used to it. I don't know. But uh, anyway, with Trump's impeachment trials going on, that's pretty, that's like a big circus. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> um, so social upheaval, but in a way, social upheaval is also a sign that things are shifting and changing. Part of that is our relationship to nature and our relationship to technology as a culture. James Lovelock, who wrote The Guy Hypothesis, um, sometime in the, like, in the, uh, sometime in the 70s or si 70s, I think, 60s, he was one of the first people to actually see, consider the Gaia Hypothesis just basically acknowledging that the Earth is a living organism as a whole. Um, really interesting ideas behind that. <laughs> because, which is significant if we start looking at it as a big whole, then we start relating to it differently, right? So when we start relating to, to our world as syst with systems thinking, the perspective changes. So um, Gaia hypothesis. So he proposes that the living organisms interact with their inorganic surroundings on Earth to form a synergistic and self-regulating complex system that helps to maintain and perpetuate the conditions for life on the planet. So, basically, a bunch of ecosystems connected makes the big planet. Um, super interesting. And the interesting thing about him is he's an engineer. He's not a biologist. Um, those engineers seem to have some um, pretty interesting ways that they think, I guess. So seeing the Earth as a system, um, and maybe they're training systems thinking, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing they are, mathematics and physics, right? So he wrote a, seeing the Earth as, you know, synergistic and self-regulating complex system, he wrote a new book, he's 100 now, and wrote a new book called Novacine, The Coming Age of Hyperintelligence, I just ordered this, and Doug Rushkoff interviewed him on uh, his podcast called Team Human. And Doug Rushkoff, in particular, is a technology... Um, <laughs> he has been in the tech industry for a long time. He's connected to many of the um, the tech... Uh, what do they call them? Like, icons, I think. And was involved early on. And he has branched off to become a little more on the social justice end of technology promoting humans rather than technology and he has lots of commentary about how humans need to um just you know take control of our relationship to technology instead of letting it control us and calling us team human um <laughs> against the robots kind of thing but finding a way to not let ai and all of these things take over anyway doug rushkoff he's got a great book but anyway, <laughs> he's interviewing James Lovelock, and I'm going off on a lot of tangents here, but Doug Rushkoff is, um, while he's interviewing James Lovelock, he finds out that actually James Lovelock sees the benefit of technology and was very stunned by this 
proposal because Doug Rushkoff has been he's I think he's an academic um and he teaches works with a lot of young people and teaches about technology um anyway so he yeah so by the end of the podcast basically James Lovelock sees that um this is about his book he doesn't think that technology is the answer he just sees it as being a relationship so this is about James Lovelock's book creator of the guy hypothesis and greatest environmental thinker of our time has produced an astounding new theory about the future of life on earth he argues that the Anthropocene in the age in which humans acquired the planetary scale technologies is after 300 years coming to an end a new age the Novocene has already begun in the Novocene new beings will emerge from existing artificial intelligence systems. They will think 10,000 10, times faster than we do. And they regard us as we now regard plants. <clears throat> but this is not to be cruel, the cruel, violent machine takeover of the planet imagined by science fiction. These hyper-intelligent beings will be as dependent on the health of the planet as we are. They will need the planetary cooling systems of Gaia to defend from the increasing heat of the sun as much as we do. And Gaia depends on organic life. We will be partners in this project. It is crucial, Lovelock argues, that the intelligence of Earth survives and prospers. He does not think there are intelligent aliens, so we are the only beings capable of understanding the cosmos. Perhaps, he speculates, the Novocene could be the beginning of a process that finally led to intelligence suffusing the entire cosmos. At the age of 100, James Lovelock has produced the most important, compelling work of his life. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This definitely makes me feel weird. Maybe I should listen to Doug Rushkoff's and James Lovelock's podcast again. Um, but Doug interviewed him, and, um, yeah. So this relationship to technology is supposed to be a positive thing? We'll see, right? So anyway, <laughs> getting back to what um, I was going to get back to is heart intelligence. And my sense is that these things are coming out more and more because as humans, it's pretty clear we're in a very frantic time that there is a lot of change going on. And if we are entering the Nova scene or whatever, if technology is growing as it is, then we're going to probably have to be, it would be nice to be ahead of the curve and know about our own body technology and our own, the way our own consciousness functions. And to know that is to know your own nervous system. And my, and things like the Heart Math Institute um, seem to have a strong component of that heart math science let's see this is a website yeah. oh they're promoting like you know get trained become a trainer gonna help in schools using technology to monitor heart rate variability so wow which is a major and other things too yeah they're gonna grow so, um, I don't know if it's good or bad. I just sense there's something interesting about this for me. Uh, the one thing they're saying is focusing on the heart. It expands compassion and kindness and forgiveness. And we all know that, right? So, 
back to Joe Dispenza's chapter, Heart Intelligence, chapter 7, Becoming Supernatural. Okay. Um, he begins the chapter by getting poetic about the heart. Let's see. Ancient Egyptians referred, referred to the heart as the Ebe. I can't pronounce it. Believe that the heart rather than the brain was the center of life and source of human wisdom. The Mesopotamians and the Greeks thought of the heart as the center of the soul. The Greeks, however, considered an independent source of heat within the body. And, yeah. <laughs> and they performed human sacrifices, whereby they extracted a still-beating heart to offer it to the sun god. The Romans understood that the heart's heart to be the body's most life-giving or vital organ. The Mayans did that, too. Um, yeah, many people see the heart as a pretty significant organ, even before science came around. 17th century, during the early years of the scientific revolution, French philosopher René Descartes argued mind and body were two radically distinct substances. This was a me mechanistic view of the universe. People began to view the heart as an extraordinary machine. The uh, mechanism of the heart's physical pump began to overshadow its nature as humanity's connection to an innate intelligence. Through scientific inquiry, the heart ceased to be recognized as our connection of feeling, emotions, or higher selves. It has been thought. Um, we've begun to reconcile, understand, and recognize the true significance of the heart both as a source that generates electromagnetic fields and our connection to a unified field. Okay, when we get into field theory and things like that, there's lots of, people are still, you know, not really, people are still proving that stuff. Um, I do somewhat believe in that. I, um, yeah, so I try to be practical around that, but um, I have a percentage of woo-woo in me that oscillates on many things. So the woo-woo percentage for that right now is... <laughs> 20%, some days it's 50. Um, so, let's see. So, obviously the heart is has a major role in our culture and our health. And it has a lot of poetic relations to compassion. And part of that is, you, you know, from a medical standpoint and a physical standpoint, you know, if you're... If your breath or your heart rate is high, you're in a sympathetic state. You're in a high rate of fight or flight. You're not really not able to be compassionate and take time to actually think. But when you're able to get your heart rate down and breathe and be relaxed, just that alone. <sighs> I want to do that. I had too much coffee. Helps people, helps someone to relax. When you're relaxed, you can think clearer, you're not tunnel visioned, you're not in an anxious state. Panic attacks are a rise in hyperarousal of your nervous system. So if you can maintain a balanced cardiovascular, if you can maintain a um, more regular breath, your heart rate also maintains too. So let's get into more details here. So, the Heart Math Institute's motivation for 
integral to our understanding of the heart has been our partnership with the pioneering groundbreaking work of the HeartMath Institute. It is a nonprofit and research education organization that works to better understand heart-brain coherence. And um, since 1991, HMI has researched and developed reliable scientifically-based tools that help people bridge the connection between their hearts and minds, as well as deepen their connection with the hearts of others. Their mission is to help people bring their physical, mental, emotional systems into balanced alignment through intuitive guidance of the heart. So, yeah. Basically seeing the heart has an electrical charge and how it's related to our emotions is super important. Um, <clears throat> like the regular beating of a drum, heart coherence refers to the physiological function of the heart that causes it to beat in a consistent, rhythmic, orderly manner. The opposite, when it is not in an orderly manner, is heart incoherence. When we are in heart coherence, we can access the heart's intelligence, which HMI defines as the flow of awareness and insight that we experience when the, once the mind and emotions are brought into balance and coherence through a self-initiated process. This form of intelligence is experienced as direct intuitive knowing that manifests in thought and emotions that are beneficial for ourselves and others. Wow, that's pretty awesome. So, uh, as you discover in this chapter, the benefits of heart coherence includes lowering blood pressure, improving nervous system and hormonal balance, improving brain function, and emotional states. Like I was saying, when you can calm your breath and you can calm your just your system in general, the rest of you can calm too, and the heart is a major center of that. <laughs> Okay, talks about chakras a little bit. I don't want to get into that too much. When your heart becomes coherent, your nervous system responds by increasing the brain's energy, creativity, and intuition. And so here's a more specific science backing that. The autonomic nervous system, involuntary division of the nervous system, is divided into two subsystems, sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic regulates body unconscious actions and responses, increased breathing, elevated heart rate, excess perspiration, dilation of the pupils, ready for action, fight or flight response, or perceived danger. This works to protect. Protect. The parasympathetic is the um, relax the body. It's the feed and breed aspect. It's like, oh, let's relax. We can do these other things like eat mate all those kind of things so that don't require us needing to be in survival mode um, both branches rely on communication between heart and brain in fact the heart and brain have more nerve connections to each other than any other system in the body these two systems sympathetic and parasympathetic are always working to maintain a sta state of homeostasis relative Equilibrium between all systems within the body. That's on page 159, Heart Intelligence Chapter. When we're in a state of homeostasis, we feel relaxed in our current environment. 
can save our energy. We don't have to expend all of our body resources on the heart. Yeah, it's really interesting to me because I remember learning about the heart in my one of my anatomy classes, and it has electrical nodes, the SA node and the AV node, and those monitor the pace and the rhythm of which the heart beats. And my guess is, and it has its own electrical system um, away from the brain. So the heart is a pretty powerful electrical system in itself. Um, that's why there's so much medical support around it because it it is a major I mean it's a major component of pumping blood to the system vascularizing our whole body blood is important to get nutrients to different cells um yeah and so there was another interesting thing they found when newborns are developing the heart is found to develop first let's see it is a known fact that all kinds of species, the heart can be removed from the body and placed in a salt solution called Ringer solution, where it will continue to beat for an extended period of time, independent of any neurological connection to the brain. In a fetus, the heart begins beating before the brain is even formed at about three weeks, while the electrical activity of the brain doesn't even begin until around the fifth or sixth week. This demonstrates that the heart is capable of initiating communication within the central nervous system. Another powerful reason why heart intelligence is important. Um, so basically just talks about, uh, before I get to that part about the heart's initiating communication with the nervous system, um, it talks about if you're not, you know, if these two balanced systems, parasympathetic and sympathetic, if you're in this stress stress response all the time which is the sympathetic then you we all know this long-term effects of stress can be catastrophic heart failure all these things become a problem uh so stress does affect the heart directly and indirectly um <clears throat> developing resilience of your heart is part of developing your um heart rate variability so let's see Another unique thing about the heart is it contains nerves from both branches of the ANS, which is the parasympathetic and sympathetic system. Um, and because of this, every emotion we experience influences our heart rhythm, which gets communicated directly through the central nervous system. <clears throat> In this way, the heart, the limbic brain, and the ANS have a very intimate relationship because balance or imbalance in one affects the other. As a side note, the limbic brain, the seat of the autonomic nervous system, is also called the emotional brain. So when you change your emotions, you affect your autonomic functions. Today, with about 75% accuracy, science can predict when someone is feeling just by looking at the beat-to-beat -beat activity of the heart using heart rate variability analysis. Wow, okay. Uh, so, heart rate, as I said... It's a physiological phenomenon that measures environment. Mental and psychological challenges are reflected by the variation of the heart's beat-to-beat -beat intervals. Um, it measures the flexibility of our heart and nervous system. And how well we are balancing our mental and emotional lives. By studying the heart's rhythms, 
Measured by the HRV, science can detect patterns that deepen our understanding of how humans process emotion and the effects of feelings and emotions on our well-being. In this way, continued HRV research offers a unique window into communication between the heart, brain, and emotions. So I have this meditation. I have this tool that measures heart rate variability. And I've been trying to train my heart rate variability with breath. I'm just started. Not so great at it. My husband bought this. It's called the M-Wave. Um, yeah, I'm sure HeartMath could sell it and probably make some money on it or something. But he got it like five years ago. But it um, it definitely, I notice at least when I'm breathing and focus on my heart, I open my thoughts change and shift for sure. Just that alone, that intention alone shifts so much in me. So I have a long way to go before I even get my HRV to be, you know, what it's supposed to be. <laughs> but, um, so let's see. Talks about heart rate variability. And it's a strong and independent predictor of future health problems. Huh. Including all causes of mortality. That having a moderate level of variability makes us better to adapt to life's changes. For many years, steady heart rhythm is considered a sign of good health. But now we know that our heart rhythm changes with each and every heartbeat, even when we are sleeping. So it goes more into, like, about heart rate variability and why it's significant and the new, new ideas behind it and why they're using it. Um, it measures the Morse code... The, it's like, kind of like a Morse code when we understand communications by the intervals between the transmissions um, between beat to beat intervals. So it's measuring the space between heartbeats. Interesting. In the case of our heart, the intervals between each beats are complex transmissions used to relay communication between the brain and the body. So maybe it sounds like Initially, we were just measuring the heart rhythms, but now HRV helps to go further away from the heart and measure its relationship to the brain and the body. Whoa, we're actually thinking a system. That's amazing. <laughs> Instead of reductionistically and... Anyway, I'm not going to go into that. Um, when people focus on their hearts, compassion, joy, gratitude expands. When the opposite happens, stressful feelings show up. High rate, high heart rate, and still maintain a state of coherence um, is possible. Therefore, it is determined that the heart's rhythms can create coherent internal body states. Okay. Heart rate variability. <clears throat> Some of the benefits. Um, let's see. The energy of those feelings set in motion uh, by elevated emotions. Let's see. Cultivate elevated emotions and the coherent signal. 1,400 biochemical changes in the body that can promote growth and repair. Um, things like that. Other benefits. The magnetic field around the heart becomes stronger because apparently there is a magnetic field that reaches a certain amount of feet from our chest um, that's been measured 
which because it has an electrical system, which would make sense. They're measuring it with a magnetometer. So that's interesting. I don't know much about those. You can check that out. Um, the heart does have a field of some sort. I've done definitely um, seen that and working on people and doing energy work. Something's going on and shifting. Something occurs in me and shifts. But I don't know if that's placebo effect or just, you know, somebody getting healing. But I try not to get, I try to accept the mystery of these things a little more than needing um, direct evidence. Because sometimes the placebo effect can, when it comes to healing work and doing healing work in general, sometimes it's what's more important is how does a person feel. Um, so... You know, if just getting attention, the simple attention, is good enough, then that works, and that works. So, but I do believe something's going on. I just don't know what. Um, if I were a scientist, I probably would need more proof. But as a practitioner, I don't feel I need proof, and I feel the placebo effect is good enough. So, let's see... Using electroencephalogram, scientific HMI laboratory discovers discover that when the heart goes into coherence, the brain waves and train with the heart's rhythm at a frequency of 0.10 hertz, and also the synchronistic between heart and brain is increased when the subject is in a heart coherent state. Coherent frequency of 0.10 hertz has been shown to be a state of optimum performance associated with increased access to deeper intuition and internal guidance. Once the analytical mind is out of the way, the individual can move down the ladder of consciousness from alpha to theta to delta brainwaves, the state in which restorative functions in the body take place. Coincidentally, we often see students reporting profound mystical experiences in the deep del delta around 0 0.09 or 0 0.10 hertz. Wow while their hearts are at a very coherent state. However, the amplitude of energy produced by the heart increases the level of energy in the brain, in some cases more than 50 to 300 times the normal level or more. Whoa. Okay. That's interesting. Um, let's see. Supporting evidence of heart-brain coherence was further demonstrated by a series of experiments performed by Gary Schwartz, Ph.D., and his colleagues at University of Arizona. In their experiments, they found inexplicable communication between the heart and the brain made no sense via neurological or other established communication pathways. This discovery established the fact that energetic interactions between the heart and brain exist through electromagnetic fields. So, wow, interesting. So we're getting into field theory here. Um... The thymus gland is also influenced by a coherent heart. It's right behind the heart. It's a major organ important in immune function before the age of adolescence. And around adolescence, it starts to decrease. Uh, I think that's from what I've heard, maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it may regulates the body's rhythms. Heart coherence apparently does that. Effects of chronic stress, that part of the chapter. We already know what that is. So, 
you're able to be, get your heart if you're able to develop heart brain coherence by regulating your heart rate variability through various practices maybe breath work then it regulates the rest of the nervous system is what this looks like so super interesting the heart brain in 1991 the pioneering work of Andrew Amor shows that the heart literally has a mind of its own with as many as 40,000 neurons the heart has a nervous system that functions independently of the brain the technical term for the system is the intrinsic cardiac nervous system more commonly known as the heart brain the discovery was so monumental that it led to a new field of science called neurocardiology which completely makes sense uh, because it has its own electrical system as according to science for sure and it's showing a picture here of the vagus nerve is a major point of contact for the heart um, and the vagus nerve is super sensitive it's a massive nerve it's like the second brain it runs down all the way down to the gut it's a um, major component of the stress response system and the heart and brain are connected by descending and ascending pathways. However, 90% of the connecting nerve fibers ascend from the heart up to the brain. He uncovered, or Mark uncovered, these direct afferent neural pathways continuously send signals and information that interacts with and modifies activity in the brain's higher cognitive and emotional centers. These signals from the heart to the brain connect through the vagus nerve and continue straight to the thalamus, which synchronizes cortical activity such as thinking perceiving and understanding language then to the frontal lobe responsible for motor functions and problem solving and on to the brain's survival center the amygdala which is in the limbic system limbic brain which signals emotional memory the core cells of the amygdala even synchronize to the heart's beating whoa this means that if your heart center is open it keeps your brain survival centers in check it's possible then that the more heart-centered you are the less likely you will react to stressors in your life the reverse is also true the less energy you have in your heart center the more likely you will be living in survival mode this tells us that our feelings and heart rhythms affect what emotional memories and responses transpire in us so stress and anxiety can trigger brainwave patterns that match an anxiety habit of the past <clears throat> which is interesting because in my practice as a PTSD therapist um, I do MDR and I work with the nervous system all the time and the amygdala and um, and I watch as people you know process their trauma which their their limbic system begins to process more and open up and as it opens up and the amygdala relaxes and they become less fight or flight, but more in like an emotional sense sometimes. So emotions come out, they're able to make meaning, they're able to um, not mix the past and present as much, be like, okay, that's the past part of me now, I can, you know, let go of that story or whatever. So, you know, it opens up other parts of their processing when the amygdala is not on fire so much and when they're not so stressed and um, my guess is this heart coherence happens as they're 
just talking to somebody or choosing within the context of a trusted connection with someone, you know, it would be interesting to measure heart rate variability in that sense, like in therapy over time. So not saying that therapy like fixes everything because it doesn't, (laughs) but what if it was just with a loved one that they were talking to, you know, who's helping them through something. So, you know, I mean, I wonder how much heart rate variability would be shifting in those senses, just practically. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that's just some thought about how the connection between the vagus nerve and the limbic brain and the heart. So, yeah. So, put it simply, emotions and feelings originate and the heart play an important role in the way we think, process information, feel, and understand the world and our place in it. Once the heart center is activated, it can act as an amplifier to jumpstart the brain and enhance its activity and create balance, order, and coherence through the body. Uh, super cool. Um, yeah, really neat. Um, so... The rest of the chapter, he has his um, part, says living heart-centered. So, um, just more psychological, um, what is it, uh, interventions for yourself, affirmations, you know, just generating f- positive thoughts that can help to open up the heart. And... <clears throat> He has a therapy kind of vibe to him, so I think he's also not just this, you know, doctor or scientifically minded, but he's also got a therapeutic, practical sense about him, which is really cool because I feel that you need both if you're going to be looking at this stuff and suggesting it to people. It's nice to have practical knowledge. Uh, Does it work? (laughs) Okay, so if you can basically saying if you... If coherence between heart and brain can originate in the heart, the synchronization can result in optimal performance and health. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. You get good health if you do these things. And he has one more thing about the brain. Um, by repeatedly practicing regulation of the heightened emotional states, in time, the constant feeling of elevated emotions can create a new emotional baseline. This baseline then begins to continually influence a new set of thoughts equal to the heightened feelings. The summation of those novel thoughts create a new level of mind, which then produces more corresponding emotions. Basically, the feedback loop between heart and brain, heart, body, mind, brain, occurs when you are entirely in a new state of being, the consciousness of the unlimited mind energy of profound love and gratitude. The repetition of this process, you're reconditioning your body, rewiring your brain, and reconfiguring your biology equal to your new state of being. Now you are naturally automatically regulating and broadcasting a different electromagnetic signature of energy into the field. This is who you are or who you have become. So you're changing your identity technically. Um, Yeah, I mean any amount of good therapy, good personal work, meditation, um, loving kindness, compassion meditations. Um can create a feedback loop in the heart and body um 
being around good people, having good social relationships. So, uh, and so if you directly affect your heart rate coherence, he has some techniques on how to do that. Examples from workshops in here. Then is our heart coherence meditation on the last page. So I'm going to read this. And then um, I think the gist of it is, is if you can, when you're doing those kind of compassion meditations or going to therapy or feeling good in general about the world and yourself, you're literally changing your physiology you're improving your heart health and if you really wanted to know how you test your heart health um obviously doing the the uh, the already medical exam and you know stress tests and things like that but if you wanted to further test your heart health you could possibly measure your heart rate variability um, and learn about that so to even get before you get to a point where if you have vulnerable hearts, vulnerable heart or heart disease in your family or something, or a stressful life, heart rate variability measurement might be a fascinating way to monitor your physiological response. So it might be interesting. Anyway, um, the heart coherence meditation. This meditation is based on the heart lock-in technique developed by HMI, which is Heart Math Institute. So, here it goes. On page 176, Joe Dispenza's book, this heart coherence meditation, comes from. Close your eyes. Allow your body to relax and bring your attention to your heart. Start breathing in and out from the heart center. And continue to do this more slowly and deeply. When your mind wanders, keep returning your attention and awareness to your chest, your heart, and your breath. Next, while you rest your attention in your fourth center, which is where your heart is, bring up some elevated emotions while continuing to breathe in and out of your heart center. Mm. Once you feel these heartfelt emotions in your chest area, send that energy out beyond your body and marry it with your intention. Continue to broadcast that energy and intention all around you. Start with 10 minutes and try to extend the time you practice every day. Eventually, when you come to know what it feels like in your body to experience these elevated emotions, you can practice throughout your day with your eyes open. You'll learn more how to do this in Chapter 9, Walking Meditation. You might even set a reminder on your phone for four times a day. When it goes off, take a minute or two to feel those elevated emotions. Wow, that's a pretty cool, quick, maybe I could try that with my clients. <laughs> uh, 
So, thanks, Dr. Joe Dispenza, in your book, Becoming Supernatural, How Common People Are Doing the Uncommon. Uh, and this was Chapter 7, Heart Intelligence. So, basically, I had Dr. Joe help me uh, cover the heart and the nervous system and that aspect of the nervous system. Uh, thank you. So, he, this book's super cool. It's a good one. Um, yeah, and I am sure there's endless amounts of more information out there on the heart and the brain connection. Um, that's all I'm going to cover today um, and just its significance in our lives. Um, I have suggested loving-kindness meditations to people. Um, so sometimes suggesting any sort of spiritual practices, you have to be careful because could involve spiritual bypassing or um a lot of should you know um but anyway yeah that's one meditation that's come to me also that might be helpful for people um let's see what else so going back to what i started with I talked about the heart math institute and i talked about james lovelock and his um the engineer james lovelock and his new book novacine super interesting about and um, Doug Rushkoff's podcast, interviewing him, um, and all of our relationships to um, technology and nature, and um, and I go back to that with the heart in mind. <laughs> That's funny uh, because when we're relating to our technology and connections on te through technology and our social networks um there has been many examples of how not to relate to others online uh, a lot of cruelty a lot of judgment a lot of just nasty words judgmentalism i've even been i am sure at times stuff i've put on facebook i definitely have felt myself triggered putting stuff on you know social media so the more we can work on heart coherence, as the more we merge with our technology and merge as a um, humanity is going to merge more. It's going to bring us together more, and it could also make us distance. So it's our choice how we want to choose to live our lives and relate to the world around us. And now we're having to learn to relate to our technology and that starts with our heart and our connection to ourselves and our connection to our emotions and our connection to our mind and thoughts. And um, anyway, as the Buddhists say, I'm not a Buddhist. What is it? The eightfold path, uh, right action, right thought, right words, um, right behavior. Also, the Christians, do, you know, the loving aspect of Christianity also pretty much says the same thing. As many religions do. Um, so, yeah, more compassion would be nice. And, uh, yeah, so, okay, thanks for listening, and I uh, hope this was helpful. And, all right, bye.